Joey. Thanks for being here, dude. Uh, how's things on your side of the pond out there in California, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. yeah, we are just like we were discussing a little bit before. We got some fires. I think we're on the way out now. But this year, the fire season really has wasn't as bad. I'm, there was a huge one, I guess, on the Oregon California border. Probably, I think it was the biggest fire ever, or something that they were saying. Um, and and we got some of that smoke, but it wasn't too bad. But last summer was was definitely worse. We had all the the raining down of all the fired stuff. We'd wake up in the morning, go out to the car, and it was just piles of it around on the car. Yeah, I could imagine that. We've never lived in anything like that. I think we had maybe a slight hurricane come through my way, but other than that, it was a small one. So You got you guys get more of the humidity and the rain yeah. and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, we get all four seasons where I'm at, but you know, randomly here like weather mother nature's been picking up and like let was it last week or two weeks ago we actually had a tornado touchdown, which I oh. think it wasn't a big one obviously, but that's rare like I've been here 35 some years and uh, do you guys yeah. have basements? Do you guys have basements out yeah, there? Yeah, most people have basements or crawl spaces mm-hmm. or stuff, but no one's ever really prepared for tornadoes. And yeah, yeah like I said, <laughs> like we've had a small hurricane. I remember growing up, and it was—I remember, I don't even remember which one. But other than that, it was just a lot of rain and some flooding. But right, so, right. But anyway, uh, so you're you were in <clears throat> Fresno, right? And what's <clears throat> in your background? So you played baseball at Fresno. Have you been there your whole life and all that good stuff? Let's, let's start. Old. Let's start talking there. Yeah, whole life, born and raised. Okay. Uh, started playing ball. Way back when, back in uh, when I was six, seven years old, played soccer about the same time. So soccer, baseball were my two sports, but I loved baseball and started off my one of my first baseball cards is Don Mattingly, uh, the first baseman for the Yankees at the time. And then I just loved the color of the A's. They're the, they're the only green team in the big leagues. <laughs> and and it was around that time, 88, 89, when the Dodgers played the A's in the World Series and Kirk Gibson hit that that game winner uh, home run where he had uh, the gimpy leg and he's hobbling around the bases. So that really sparked my interest in baseball. And I ended up playing baseball, uh, Fresno state, you know, played from little league all the way through played four years of Fresno state. So it was, it was a, it was a blast. What, what position were you? So I was an outfielder. Okay. I, I loved center field. I was the quarterback of the outfield. And uh, what's interesting about center field is I can call anybody off. I could even call a catcher off. That's that's the the rules of the game. If I can get to that ball, yeah. which isn't going to happen, but I but the center fielder has the best view, has the bird's eye view of the whole field sure. and will get the longest look of the ball that's in the air. You know, I never thought about that. I mean, I only played baseball up to eighth grade, but yeah, I didn't never realize the quarterback of the outfield man that's mm-hmm. yeah you got to cover ground you and i loved running so i you had to cover your right fielder and your left fielder and you got to cover up and back and um you know you you don't have to deal with tail like a right fielder left fielder does when a ball comes off the bat a lot of times the hitter it tails towards a line so they're the the side outfielders right and left fielders have to open up towards the line like you know with their feet they got to open up towards the line because sure. most likely the ball is going to banana towards the the foul line and as a center fielder I didn't, I didn't really have to deal with that I got most of the straight balls unless it was really windy or something weird like that yeah I got you so was Fresno the only school you were looking at or were you get recruited by other schools yeah, so I was – I would actually just talked to a couple of my hitters about this recently that – because some of them are getting recruited now. They're seniors in high school and, yeah. or juniors, and we're getting getting them ready to start putting some feelers out there. <clears throat> and I wasn't being recruited by anybody. I did pretty well my junior year, and I had a, a couple coaches that really got behind me, and I had a couple buddies who had signed early in November, uh, my our senior year. Mm-hmm. And we did a, I think it was January, it was right before our season was going to start, we did a little, gathered a group of guys that hadn't signed yet that were some decent prospects in the Valley. And we went up to San Jose, which is about two and a half hours from Fresno up in the kind of Bay area, Santa Clara, San Francisco area. And we, we did a little kind of camp ish clinic. It was too much rain. We couldn't really be outside. So we went into indoor cage and there were some scouts. There were some um, not, not pro scouts per se, but college D one college scouts that came. So after that meeting, I had, I was starting to get offers from one Fresno state, because my head coach in high school was uh, alumni, Fresno State alumni. So he helped kind of push my name over, over there. Nice. University, University of San Francisco, Loyola Marymount, which is I kind of Santa Barbara. Yeah, you know, Loyola. Yeah, is that basketball for basketball, I think? Yeah, Loyola Marymount. I think, yeah, I think they're pretty good in basketball. Yeah, Catholic. Tournament like a year or two ago, or something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so they're kind of Santa Barbara ish. I mean, beautiful area, Catholic university, private university, and then uh, University of Reno in Nevada. 
And so it was pretty much those schools that were, that were coming after me, which is kind of cool. It went from zero to, to four. And I decided on Fresno state because they had a, I mean, we had 2000 to 3000 at a game. I mean, it was, there was such a following and I loved, I loved the coaches at university of San Francisco coach Kanishi. And I think it was Giramonte was the other guy uh, come to find out they ended up in Hawaii university of Hawaii. So if I would have signed with USF, which, their crowds were minuscule. I mean, they're, they're, they had those, those metal bleachers okay. that could probably seat maybe 30 to 40. And they had two of those. That was all they had for seating at San Francisco. Cause they had no room to build a stadium. So I, I love the field. I, I love the city at the time. It's kind of gone by way of gross. I wouldn't even take my family there now, <laughs> but at the time, beautiful, beautiful city, loved it, but there was going to be nobody there to come watch our games. And, and, uh, anyway, those coaches ended up at university of, of Hawaii, who we played in our league, Fresno state played, we'd go over there and we'd play, uh, a four, we'd go over there for four or five days and we'd play, or actually we'd go over there for a week. We'd play university of Hawaii. And then we would go and play. What was the other one? Um, it was on the other side of the Island that we'd, that we'd play a uh, Hilo university, of uh, Hawaii Hilo. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, I'm taking BP and coach Kanishi comes walking up to me and he's like, Hey, Hey Joe, what's going on, man? I was like, what the hell are you over here now? <laughs> I wish you were over here recruiting me. I would have probably come to Hawaii. For sure, man. Just playing in Hawaii would have been badass. I'm sure. <laughs> but all right. So you just said that you're hitters. So what did you mean by that? So you're helping them recruit and stuff, or get recruited? Yeah. So I work with hitters, uh, like private, small, small private group lessons. And we do between two to four to six hitters in a group. And we, we just keep it private. We work, we get to work on them, like what their swing, what they need to work on. It's not like we do a blanket teach because it's a group. We get to dig into each of their swings in a session. So I have a lot of junior, uh, junior hires and high schoolers right now. I only work with 11 year olds all the way up through, you know, up, 11 plus. Okay. Uh, the, the younger ones, I have a hitting apprentice, which I call him and, and, and he works with the young, young ones. So, um, as they get into that junior year, sophomore to junior year, we start talking about oh, their recruiting process and how they're going to self promote them themselves and, and reach out to some of these coaches and what questions to ask so that they know how to put a video montage together of their performances uh, so that they're they're tailoring the video to the specific coach of what they're looking for when they're evaluating players. Is that what coaches are looking for now? Is you hey you send me like a private YouTube link of your highlight reel and yeah you know especially with COVID and and all the the cut down on the recruiting that's happened and I think there's still a little bit of a haze there's a fog of war on the recruiting side because of all this because we don't know what's going to happen especially in California it's it's been crazy yeah so players you know I tell them I say you can't be reactive you have to be proactive you have to go out and you have to do things that other players aren't going to be doing or don't know how to do and in baseball and softball similar but in baseball you there the coaches have specific ideologies when it comes to hitting and some coaches really like the hitters that hit the dingers and the doubles and that's all they shoot for, which I mean, we, we don't teach that per se. We, my hitters know how to do that, but we're more of a moderation. We, we look for the line drive type of thing. So some, but some coaches, even though some like that, other coaches absolutely hate that. They would rather a hitter hit more line drives, hit more hard ground balls. So I tell my hitters, you have to know what programs you're going into, what you're getting yourself into. And you'll know that by that initial connection, you will you'll, you'll call or you're, you'll email or reach out on social media or whatever it is to make that first connection. And your first question is how do you evaluate players? How do you evaluate hitters? How do you evaluate fielders? You know, for the ones that pitch to, how do you evaluate your pitchers? And then once you get that answer back now, you know, what kind of video to tailor for that specific coach, instead of what, what they were doing in the past of players is they were putting this video montage together, covering all bases, okay. showing them hit to opposite, you know, all the fields, hitting them doubles and dingers. They were doing everything, just basically throwing spaghetti on the wall, hoping something was going to stick, but you could put something in that video that the coach doesn't like, and it turns them off and, and you don't want to do that. You want to have options, right? That's what I tell them. You want to make sure you have options. Yeah. So if you're a skill player, you would actually want to show more of, of that technique and that repertoire, I guess, or arsenal, whatever you have in your tool bag for what it could yeah. see. Like, yeah. If you're fast, if you're fast, yeah. you get somebody clocking you and have, and have it on video doing the, the, like in baseball, it's the 60 yard dash, which is probably the dumbest thing. Cause you never run 60 yards, which, you know, times three, 180 feet. That's, that's never really, 
You're never going to run that kind of a thing. You know, it'd be better if we ran a 40 yard, more like football and even better would be a 30 yard would be more, but baseball's so old uh, when it comes to dinosaur mode and the brain, you know, if you've seen Moneyball, you know know how that is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how'd you get this uh, practice going? I mean, was this something like out of high school or not out of college you decided to get going or was this recent or? So this was, this goes all the way back to probably 2005. So I started after I finished at Fresno state, I was, I was done. I, I was burnt out mentally and just, I wasn't getting recruited either. Uh, pretty mo- mediocre into the season, but I got hit. I got hit by a, a fastball. I never broke a bone in my, in my life and, and chipped that ulnar ulnar bone right here and put, put me in just a forearm cast. Wasn't too bad, but I couldn't, I couldn't rotate this way without a bunch of pain. So it took me out for six weeks and that was just a nail in the coffin. And it took me about my wife and I we were dating at the time. It took me about six months. We went and studied abroad in Italy because we both had wanted to do that our whole life and just didn't have the time. Cause my wife was working a lot uh, while she was in school and, and I had baseball. So I didn't, we didn't have that time. So we went to Italy where there was really no base. There is baseball, but there's no baseball there. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, the, they love soccer. That's yeah, their thing. Uh, but you know, there's baseball. They just, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not really there. So, um, you know, it was nice, nice break away and, and take a deep breath and come back. And then I started teaching at a local batting cage where they had camps and things like that in the summer. And so I started to hand my, my card out to people and, so that's how it basically started. And then over the years, it took a couple of years and, and I started to teach based on what we say, applying human movement principles validated by science to hitting a ball. So we started looking to physics and biomechanics and engineering principles. And we, and we started to reverse engineer the swing. And, and I kind of set away, set aside my ego and what I had learned growing up and went more of the science route and see how these, these principles applied. And so once I started doing that, my, my hitter base started just exploding because what was, what I was doing before wasn't working as consistently as when we started bringing the science into it. And once I started bringing that into it, we started having hitters that were, they'd weigh 60 pounds, 67 pounds hitting the ball, 180 feet, which is tripling their body weight and bat ball distance. We yeah. had guys that were 115 to 130 pounds hitting the ball, 360, 400 feet. And so the word got out. Other coaches started teaching the same thing. They started getting the same, if not better results with their hitters. And then from there, I mean, it just, it just exploded. So when you say, let's break this down a little bit, just for, you know, I know a little bit about biomechanics. I have a background in kinesiology, but yeah. So it's like, when you're talking about like functional movement screening and you were just telling, you know, people how to, how to move their bodies and Mm -hmm. let's break down. Probably that's a real vague term I know, but I haven't thought it in a while, but so let's break that down a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Because that's kind of your background is corrective movements too, right? Exactly. Okay. So most of mine, and I wish if I would have done it over in college, instead of being a criminology law enforcement major, I probably would have been a kinese major. Okay. <laughs> it would have been probably much more, I mean, I enjoy criminology, but it wasn't as enjoyable, I think, than if there was a kinese. So I got, I started that journey getting a, just a normal PT, you know, phys, or not physical therapy, but um, personal training degree from NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine. Sure. And then from there, I really found the niche. I got a, I got yoga certified. I got, you just mentioned functional muscle screen. I got certified in that. I got a, a certified from uh, NASM and in, in corrective exercise science, uh, specialist and, and just a couple other alphabet soup, you know, uh, certifications, as you know, out there. Oh yeah. And, um, so I really, really loved the corrective side of things. I love getting clients in, whether they're athletes or just normal run of the mill clients that were coming in to lose weight. And we'd work on if they had a bad wheel, you know, the bad knee or ankle at a tight ankle or immobile hip or, or shoulder, whatever that functional muscle screen FMS that really opened my eyes to, um, the potential for athletes and and normal people to improve their movement. So we say move better to perform better. And so I took that same, that same discipline, we moved it in with our hitters and now we got a hitter who maybe couldn't get into a certain hitting position because of his ankles or her ankles. And we'd start working and mobilizing their ankles or their hip or their shoulder. And so since then uh, I think, the biggest rabbit hole that I went down was, are you familiar with like the springy fascia 
like Thomas Myers anatomy trains. I've heard of that part, but not the springy okay. fascia part. Yeah. So I call it springy fascia, but, uh, oh, okay. Thomas Meyer, Thomas Myers book anatomy trains. And we're, I'm sure we're related at some point on the, on the family tree, but I don't, I don't know him. Oh, okay. You know, we don't have family reunions <laughs> or anything. We got the same last share, the same last name. He's out of Maine. And I, my son was born. He was like a year old and, or not even a year old yet. My wife was, was nursing him, And, and she made me stay up when she was up all ends of the morning, getting up six times in the morning. So I, for whatever reason, I was, I was trying to fix a, a tightness, a chronic tightness in, in the inside of my right knee. And I was just searching on Amazon. I don't know how I just happened on his book, but I, I grabbed it. Maybe it was the last name and his, his book, like, opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And that rabbit hole went really deep and it, and it branched out once I got below, below the ground. And that is the big thing that, that, that was a springboard for the system. Yeah. And that fascist side and Thomas Myers, he's, um, I guess they call him body workers, um, a rolfer. So rolfing, is it rolfing.org? R-O-L kind of sounds like rolfing, like throwing up, but it's not it's the opposite. <laughs> it's like make you better. Right. Um, but rolfing.org, I think is what they're, they're thing is. And I, I got, uh, I got with a, a rolfing specialist for a, a, a gal that's close that worked on my body for like almost two years to unwind all the bad habits and all the bad stuff that, that baseball did. Um, and so it just, that rabbit hole went super far and deep. And at the time, I think 2014, 2013 or 14 is when I started going down that rabbit hole. And since then, like I said, it, everything just exploded and things made sense to me a lot more. It was frustrating because other coaches out there didn't see it. Yeah. And even in the strength conditioning world, they didn't see it until a couple of years later, I started hearing some other coaches on the pitching side of things, not so much on the hitting, but on the pitching, start talking about terms like spinal engine and, and fascia. And I was like, Oh, people are starting to get the idea of, of the power of this stuff. And it, and it's not so much like strength conditioning. I love strength conditioning. The problem with it is, is if you don't, if you don't go to the root source of the issue, if you don't go to the hip for hip mobility issue mm -hmm. or shoulder mobility issue, um, there's going to be a plateau for that athlete. They are not going to be able to lift past a certain amount. And if they try to, there's going to be injury. And so what's nice about the fascia stuff and the spinal engine stuff is it's how our bodies are geared to move. And so it's not only high performance movements that we talk about, but safe. Yeah. So we're not blowing lower backs out. We're not wearing holes and knees and, you know, things like that. And so I think with the young, young kids, that's huge, especially with the girls. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, a lot, I coach CrossFit, you know, a couple of times a week on the side. So I don't know if I told yeah. you that earlier, but no, you're just surprised that, you know, people think they can move, but when you actually start watching them, just do a simple body weight squat, you're just, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, I thought you said you could move, but obviously you can't say that out loud, but yeah, then you start, <laughs> but it's amazing the differences when you start putting people into correct positions and like, Hey, you know, maybe we should try this out or warm up, you know, do a little stretching right beforehand. Like what mm -hmm. just a little bit can, you know, make a difference, I guess. And just, and like you just said that, you know, I don't know if a lot of people realize, or I hope a lot of people do realize, but you know, with <laughs> baseball, a lot of the you know, core powers want to come from your core with hitting and just throwing mm -hmm. the ball. Yeah. And just building mm -hmm. that up as opposed to trying to bench press 315 multiple times. I mean, you're right. more just doing by, you know, I guess mimicking that sport movement right there. Yeah. yeah and, you know, CrossFit's come a long ways because in the beginning, I, I love CrossFit like, like everybody in the beginning, but it was almost like you have a misaligned front end on your car and you have to buy new tires for it. And the, the tire guy says, well, you know, you're going to get 80,000 miles on this, on these tires, but with that front end misaligned, we probably need to correct that because without correcting it, you're going to get about 40,000 miles on them. Right. And so I think in the beginning, CrossFit didn't really have a big focus on corrective movement. Nah, and I, I know, I know you probably know Dr. Kelly Starrett. Oh yeah. 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 I'm just so CrossFit, yeah, right? Range of motion guy. Yeah. Range of motion. Yeah. PT, right. He, yeah. he brought the physical therapy side to CrossFit oh, and, yeah. and I love his stuff and, and, and I was eating that stuff up too. And, and I thought, I think he was probably one of the pioneers, one of the, you know, top five pioneers in the beginning with CrossFit mm -hmm. to bring that into CrossFit. And I think, I, I don't know, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think CrossFit's really come around in that side. And it's probably even safer uh, now than maybe any other discipline if people aren't going through that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It has come a long way just because, you know, Kelly Starlett put that in there. Then they hired, you know, Mike uh, Bergner to actually teach, you know, Olympic weightlifting classes. And yeah. actually they brought in other kettlebell people to actually, hey, you should move a kettlebell like this instead of just here's a kettlebell, go do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, then they brought in sort of their, their own yoga uh, called Ramwad. Yep, just yep. This range of motion wide. And so, yeah, and like, you know, it's just like anything else. Yeah, it probably started out. That's maybe why it got the bad name in the beginning, just because it, you know, somebody would write on the board, here's the workout 21 thrusters, 21 pull ups, good luck. And then that's how people got hurt. And that's what got the bad name. And, right. And so, yeah, but again, it's just like everything else. There's just, there's just science to this shit. Like you were saying, man, I mean, if you read the books and sit down and like you were talking about, yeah, I mean, you can actually see that hey, people just don't make this up. You know, there's a method to the madness, you know? So. And you have to, you have to have a passionate curiosity for it. And that's what I always like talking to people and, and any discipline doesn't have to be CrossFit, doesn't have to be baseball, whatever, but you can tell those that have a passionate curiosity and they would, if they had a hundred million dollars in the bank, this is what they would do, right? Mm-hmm. They would wake up in the morning and that's what they would do. And they are looking for answers. They're critical thinkers. They're good. You know, we all make mistakes, but they're good discerners. Like they have good discernment, right? So knowing who to follow and what effectiveness means, right? Doing the right things. Well, what are those right things? Like, how do you find those? And, And who do you, who can you trust with that information? And you start going up the ladder and finding instead of, like in baseball, our biggest problem was when, uh, before I started bringing this stuff into it, was that people were just trusting former major leaguers, uh, hall of famers. And, and there's a lot of good stuff that, that those guys say, especially when it comes to the feel side of things. I think they're world-class when it comes to feel like feel cues and coaching cues, that kind of thing when it comes to movement, but they don't really know what they're doing. They don't, they have no clue how to teach it and what they're doing. And that's okay because they, they probably don't teach it. They've never taught it before. Um, and so that, that was the thing that we were battling in the beginning was that these coaches would say, well, how many, how many uh, base hits or how many home runs did you hit in the big leagues? You know, <laughs> or, uh, or uh, what was it? Uh, Dr. Serge Grakovetsky, who was the kind of the, he coined the term, the spinal engine. And uh, he has got a book called the spinal engine. It's really good. I probably understood about 20% of it. He's a, he's a physicist and electrical engineer. So you could just imagine the kind of jargon that he's talking oh, a um, lot of studies, a lot of, I mean, he's self self study stuff, putting studies together himself, experiments, all that kind of thing. And they would, that's what they would say. I would mention Dr. Zerd Grakovetsky and I'd maybe give a quote or whatever, or a diagram demonstrate, whatever, showing him a video. And they say, well, how many base hits did Dr. Surge get in the big leagues? <laughs> wait, a, wait a minute, dude. You know, we got to, we got to look at this from a different angle because from what I was seeing or and not only what I was seeing, but when I was working with hitters, it, it wasn't working. It wasn't consistent. And so I think people had such a hard time believing what we were doing and what my hitters were doing and what my coaches hitters were doing. They were having a hard time believing it because they'd never seen it because yeah. what they were teaching was garbage. And it, and it wasn't consistent. Right. And so baseball has just been so far behind with everything. Golf's been a lot better. They're probably about a decade ahead of, of the baseball, baseball world, baseball, softball world. But well, that's probably because of Tiger Woods. I mean, he actually was one of the only ones who's actually started weightlifting and stuff. Yeah. That I remember. And I think that's what, you know, obviously he was out there just before he went down his problems i guess but yeah he was out there yeah he was doing all the weightlifting thing and i think that's what attracted other golfers and saying hey maybe we should get on this uh weightlifting or strength or whatever you want to call it strength and conditioning so i don't really know exactly what he does but i know mm-hmm. he was lifting there for a little bit but yeah and and with him the tragedy i think it was the i guess the blessing and the curse was getting back into the corrective exercise part of stuff i think that he got really into the strength conditioning just like i did in college i mean it was curls for girls right we oh, wanted yeah. to look we wanted to look good but those muscles didn't necessarily translate yeah. to the baseball field right no. but hey it was to get chicks and that's that <laughs> was what it was all man. about <laughs> <laughs> right and so tiger woods i mean you remember he, i mean he was thick he turned oh, sideways man. and i mean he was thick he and you're like dude shape for sure yeah, yeah. 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 But that maybe not necessarily good for golf. I mean, I don't know what his what he was doing, but I do know all the injuries that followed that. I mean, he had lower back issues. He had knee issues. I mean, he had surgeries on, I think, both of those. And so you got to think about, okay, well, what are you doing in the weight room? And is that helping you on the greens? Yeah. Well, do you think it was just that just over the repetitive time of him just doing that swing? If that's what did it instead of the weight room. And that's why he 
it went down that road or maybe it was just a combination of both. It was just this overuse. Well, think, think about in baseball, we have a problem in softball because I, I was a righty hitter, righty thrower, okay. right? You do that in the weight room. If you go in the weight room and just lift, do bicep curls with your right arm, do 50, 50 reps with your right arm and go home. I mean, nobody does that. You, you do both equally, right? Sure. So, but in baseball and softball, it's, and this is my opinion. I, I don't feel like switch hitting or switch throwing gives you a competitive advantage. You have some switch hitters that do pretty well. And maybe you can argue that it adds 20 points to your batting average or whatever, but that's, I mean, you have to do as many swings as you do right-handed as left-handed. You have to do as many throws right-handed as you do left-handed. Who the hell has that kind of time? I mean, practice is already two hours. Are we going to make them four hours? Cause we're doing all that extra time on both sides. So there's no equality when it comes to movement in, in those sports. And then, but what, what baseball has an advantage of over golf is that golf is always in one spot on the inclined plane. It's always one spot. Yeah. It, the ball is always on the ground. That's a good point. And, and with baseball and softball, you have a differing inclined plane, right? There's pitches up in the zone. There's pitches down in the zone. So there is a little bit of, of change there, but in golf, I think it's so one-sided dominant and, and only one type of movement that there, I don't think there's enough of, the other way. So if Tiger Woods being a righty going lefty, the same amount of swings, he probably just doing that. He, he might've not had the, the same amount of issues. Maybe he did that. I don't know. I don't know what his training was, but yeah. I'm just guessing it and how the body, you know, how the body is. It, it loves balance, loves oh, yeah. balance. Yeah. And, and when there's imbalance in a joint, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have a, a restricted side and you're going to have an overpowering side. And then they're, they're going to be fighting each other in that joint. And eventually if you push them too much, that joint's just, you're going to wear a hole in the joint. As Kelly Starrett says, you're going to wear a hole in your back. No, that's a good point. I have a friend, uh, he does CrossFit too, and he goes to another gym, but anyway, he sent me a video saying that he's like, Hey, can you see anything wrong? And he was doing an overhead squat and he had a complete hip shift movement to the right, right in the yeah. bottom of the squat. Asymmetric. And, yeah. And he was, he said, I don't know what the hell happened, but just, he woke up one day and it was just, he started doing that. And normally he's real competitive and everything, but he just, yeah. he pain, man. And he actually <laughs> had to go see a, I guess a OT or PT for it. I don't know, but yeah. yeah and you, did you do the functional muscle screen? Um, I did it once and I used to work in the, uh, our recreation center on campus and we were actually kind of had a, the board on the wall. We were playing with that and I was, just, mm-hmm. I didn't have nobody really teach me cause nobody at that time really knew how to actually right. do it, but yeah, I played with it. Are you familiar with the, I don't know if your buddy's still, is he still suffering from the asymmetrical uh, squat? I didn't know. I didn't even follow up with him, but I know he went and talked to somebody and, um, I think it's got a, a just, I don't know. I, I can look for the text and what he sent me, but. Uh, yeah. Well, what, one thing that's interesting in, with the functional muscle scream that I learned, I actually use the same technique with my hitters and it's called uh, reactive neuromuscular uh, training RNT. Yeah. So the, the idea is to feed the mistake, right? <clears throat> and when you feed the mistake, so your buddy is sliding the hips to, to one side, to the yeah. left or to the right. And so if you take a band and you wrap it around his waist and pull him to that side, pull him to the side that he's, that he's asymmetrically squatting to. So if he's squatting to the left, get on that left side of him, wrap the bands around his waist and start pulling him that way. And he has to resist you the other way. Um, so that's, oh, I know we, I, okay. I've, I've seen that. You yeah. seen that? Yeah. Yeah. And it works really good. And that I learned that from fitness. I, I learned that from functional muscle screen and I took that to my hitters. So we have hitters, we have a drill called the, the hands drop drill. So if, if my hitters hands drop all the way down to their, their waist, and then they start their turn. Well, that leaves them vulnerable to pitches up in the zone, right? Pitchers just throw hard stuff up and then there's no way they can get to it and hit it hard. So what we do is I, I have them, I have a, uh, we have Jaeger bands that are that like those bands I'm talking about, but they have a wrist thing that uh, wrist uh, Velcro that you can put it around the wrist, you put it around the wrist. Okay. And then it ha- on the other end, you can, uh, with a carabiner, you can attach to a fence and they do a lot of like arm, arm exercises for pitchers and stuff. So we have them step on with their back foot, step on the, the V part of the band and they got their wrists, you know, so they can hold their bat. And so they practice uh, getting to their landing position, their stride landing while those bands are pulling the hands down and they have to resist it. They can't let it, the bands pull their hands down. Uh, I like and it, I'm telling you, dude, it, it corrects it within a session or two. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like your body just automatically just starts like, it's like muscle memory, just. It uh, sends it sends a signal to the brain uh, that, okay. and, and then after they do it a couple of times that physically do that drill, 
we don't almost have to do it for a while because then I can trigger that using a coaching cue. I can say, hey, fight those hands getting pulled down, fight them. And so they, they already have that clear signal from doing it physically a few times. And then all I got to do is just cue it, just verbally cue it. And they got it. Yeah. This is what my buddy texted me right here. I got it for you. Um, yeah. He said he fixed my hips. No problem. They were slightly out of alignment with my hip flexor was strained because my sacrum was tilted and twisted. <laughs> so he says he need to focus on his posterior. So for his job, he drops yep. a lot. So I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Shout out. He's got a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got an anterior pelvic tilt and they're trying to posteriorly like uh, we always talk about the, the hips are a bowl or the pelvis is a bowl of water. Right. Yeah. And so oh, when you yeah, when it's anterior, when it's anterior, you're spilling water on your feet. When it's posterior, you're spilling water on your heels. And you want to you want it when you're anterior. A lot of the sitters drive truck cops. Uh, possibly firefighters and stuff. They, they tend to sit a lot. So they're the, and the students, you know, the, the kids in school and stuff, they sit a lot. So doing a lot of hamstring stuff, like the, the single leg Romanian deadlifts or the regular deadlifts or, um, you know, that kind of thing, posterior chain stuff is beautiful. And they start walking upright and they, they look good, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> out there. So, uh, I was listening to a podcast and I had, uh, Terrence Kennel. I think she's a strength and conditioning guy for the Astros. And he was okay. actually talking about if you're a baseball player, um, do you have to be an athlete to actually play baseball? Or can you just, like we were talking about earlier, or can you just develop the skills and hopefully become that athlete? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? That's a great question. Yeah, I I, I agree with them. So what I tell my hitters or my parents, my coaches, is when you're when the kids are younger, the sports that you want them to be in uh, aside from baseball and other sports like football and whatever, uh, the other things you want them to be in is I just found out parkour, parkour, American Ninja Warrior stuff, oh, yeah. right? Everybody knows American Ninja Warrior. So we have our son, we had our son and daughter in gymnastics when they were younger. They did that for a couple of years. And then a couple of the gymnastics play shut down here. <clears throat> so we got them into parkour because they were the only place open. And it was in a, a city uh, in Clovis, which is just it's probably about 15, 20 minutes north of Fresno. And they're a little bit more, they were a little bit more open to a little bit more conservative. So they, they were more open. So we went there. So parkour, American Ninja Warrior, yoga is always good. You just don't get the explosion with yoga. You just get more range of motion with that. Okay. But um, uh, martial arts is another really good one because a lot of the kicks that you're doing and it has to be martial arts or I mean, it has to be like karate or Taekwondo. There needs to be some sort of, kicking involved. Whereas okay. Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you're not going to get a lot of that. A lot of BJJ, you're in tight, right? You're always wow. in tight. You got people on you. You're, you're, you're doing different things. So you're not, I mean, there's punching involved, but it's more grappling um, and submissive type. Exa- right? yeah. Exactly. So you get with karate, Taekwondo, Kenpo, some of the traditional ones, you get more of the, the hip, you're working the hip in all kinds of different positions with the leg. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so so those are some of the things that uh, swim can be good, but swim's good for the shoulder because you get, you get full range, some full range of motion oh, yeah. in the shoulder with swim, right? Not as much in the legs. Um, but you know, there's other swim. I, I'm not a swim guy, but there's other swim things, right. That you can do to, to get some leg, some hip stuff in there. But I, that's what I say. So have a, have a discipline that's outside of your sport, especially if you're playing baseball, softball, golf, maybe even tennis because that can be argued as it's a one side dominant, but you do do backhand. So you do turn the opposite direction versus your forehand. Right. Um, but yeah, that athlete type thing. I mean, I think that should be your base. That should be your foundation. You shouldn't, I, I don't like when my hitters are playing just baseball for their whole life. Yeah. Like you need, you need other uh, CrossFit, you know, weight room stuff too, as long as in the weight room, they're doing mobility work and stability work along with that, that's comes around their strength conditioning programming. So weight room stuff's always good too, is just as long as they're getting that mobility stability side. Yeah, but I like yeah, I, I agree with them. Yeah. You can develop a lot of different skills as doing other different sports and hopefully transfer it over. I mean, to uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Basketball, right. You, yeah. you, you learn skills in basketball. Like I played soccer. So soccer, and I did martial arts for three years. I did like a mixed martial arts. So we did a little bit of everything before it was mixed martial arts, before it was called mixed martial arts. Yeah. Uh, it just seemed like rational logic that you'd want to learn different disciplines of martial arts, you know, because grappling is going to help you. Like Bruce Lee said, you're, what did he say? 90% of fights end up on the ground anyway. So, yeah. you know, you, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu might be good or, <laughs> you know, we have a five-year-old daughter who 
again, this is, this is what I think about, you know, I think about how she's going to protect herself. And if I put her in a karate type class or Taekwondo where she's learning how to punch, she's learning how to kick, you know, trying to kick people in the face. The problem is, is she's, she could be bowing up on a dude that's like six, four, like what if some six, four dude, I don't know how tall you are, Chris, but you, you know, you got some weight on you. I mean, I'm about five, six, five, seven on a tall. Dude. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So maybe she could, maybe she, when she, if she gets to, to, to be some sort of height, she can get you in the nose, but, but you know, we're, as, as dads, we, we have to think about the, the worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. So what, what are, what are girls that are going to be smaller uh, what, what are their best shot? And I think Brazilian jiu-jitsu is perfect for girls because what's going to happen. They're going to uh, come up, a dude's going to come up behind them or in front of them and bear hug them, yeah. or they're going to try and put them in a hold. And if the girl knows how to put them in a, in an elbow lock or, or choke them out or uh, put their leg in a compromising position or know how to hit that leg in a way that's going to, it's going to disarm th- this guy yeah. and they can, they can run for help, you know? So exactly. what, whatever the skills that you're looking to, to gain it, you know, basketball, again, you, you have a lot of eye hand coordination, you have a uh, spatial awareness, right? So for me as an outfielder basketball, I play, and I play basketball. I didn't play it officially and in a league, but I played for like three years with my buddies on the street. Oh, we yeah. just, we had, a, we had a buddy, had a hoop and we played each other. And um, you know, I wasn't good in the beginning, but I got pretty good as, as we went, but that helped me in spatial awareness in the outfield. So I had a good idea of, the height of the ball. So I could, I could get to that, that spot. Or if I was going back on a ball, chasing the ball to the wall, I, I could understand kind of where that wall was. If you know, we're based on spatial awareness of, of everything. So yeah, you'll multiple sports are great, but you also need a foundation that's going to move your body in as many different positions as possible so that you're not in, in an imbalanced state for sure. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. You got to build a foundation and kind of go off that. And I mean, that's kind of what we kind of, I guess, teach in CrossFit, you know, we, Mm-hmm. Teach like the smaller, like non-basic movements, especially with Olympic weightlifting. And then we get yep. that basis down that people can actually do that. Then like you were saying, then we build off into the other. Yeah. You start doing power style. cleans. Oh yeah. Uh, the clean jerks. Yeah. Yeah. So. Those are, those are the fun ones, man. Oh, yeah, but, you, man. but you can't, but you can't get there. I, uh, who was I? I was talking to one of my hitters. I think um, they were, they were going over cleans. I, and I asked him, are you guys doing cleans? And he said, no, not yet. Uh, I said, are you doing, are you doing kettlebell swings yet? Uh, or, or deadlifts. Yeah. And, um, he said, he said, yeah, after I was questioned, I don't think he knew what they, they were called. He just, Hey, do this. And, and he just does it. You know, he doesn't know what they're called. Okay. I said, I said, okay, you're doing a deadlift. You're doing a hex bar deadlift. You're doing a regular one. And we were walking through it and he said, yeah, we're doing, we're doing a regular deadlift. And I said, are you doing a hang clean or, or like a, um, um, a hang, a hang shrug, yeah. you know, like yeah. where you showed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He said, we're doing that. And, and I said, are you doing a front squat? Because that's your catch position, you know? Um, and so that's, that's what you do. Like you're talking about, you, you take those pieces or smaller pieces. And then once they got those movements and those pieces, now you can work into a clean. Now you can get them actually getting under and, and catching the bar like they're supposed to. Of course. Um, so we're talking about like, with all the fitness stuff here that I want that I was also kind of referring back to this podcast. I was listening to that that strength conditioning coach that you ever seen a movie of uh, Tom Selleck, Mr. Baseball. Oh, I love it. And he says, we're not athletes. We're baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. My favorite movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> Albert Pujols for uh, mm-hmm. example, would you say he was in shape to play baseball? I mean, how good a shape do you really need to be to play baseball? He, he's a hard worker. I, I was surprised recently. They looked like he put on a little weight and it wasn't good weight. Right. Yeah, I saw it last uh, night. He had a home run on, on, for the Dodgers now. So. Look, How do you look to you? Look a little thick. You look thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T H I C K. You know, not, yeah, not like girl yeah. thick. You know, no, 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 not at all. Yeah, guy thick. He's got the dad belly yeah. and he's got the thing. You know, but that, I mean, that's pretty normal for those guys as they get up in in years. I think he's got to be close to his late thirties, early forties now. Yeah, so he's getting older. Um, but when he was when he was with the Cardinals, even early on with the Angels, he was in pretty good shape. Um, and I think I think what happens as they get older, if they're not allowed, which uh, with the PED things, a whole, whole other can of worms we can talk about. I, I'm okay with, with PEDs. I'm okay with steroids or HGH or whatever it is. Number one, it needs to be doctor recommended and prescribed number one. And number two, it needs to be controlled. So there needs to be a control of, uh, and I've heard this and I could be wrong, but I've heard that it's actually steroids, HGH, you know, whatever is in the Olympics. So Olympic athletes are allowed to take these 
performance uh, enhancers, uh, more recovery, right? Okay. Uh, they're allowed to take it, but there's only a certain threshold that they can take. If they take too much of it, that's when they get busted. Now, I could be wrong on that, but I heard this from so uh, a friend of mine who's a retired podiatrist, uh, foot doctor, who uh, understands all the fascia, spinal engine, massage, like he understands all that side of it. He has a Olympic, Olympic judge buddy that told him that. So I could be wrong, but I believe that these guys and gals that are playing these sports and particularly baseball where they're, it's a grind, 162 games. They start in April. And this is what these armchair quarterbacks don't understand. They say, Oh, you know, these idiots, you know, they're taking PEDs and bonds. We's a cheater and all this stuff. Like these guys don't understand the, the grind that these guys go through from April. And if they're lucky all the way through to October, Mm -hmm. They have no clue what a grind that is physically, right? So you're talking what, uh, five, six months where it's just constant, 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 162 games. So you cannot nutritionally, maybe, but you'd have to be very fanatical every single day to get away with proper recovery through nutrition with that kind of a grind. Like let the athletes take these, these, you know, a certain threshold of steroids or HGH or whatever it is that the doctors decide is okay. Allow them to recover. Like we're, we're paying good money now at uh, uh, San Francisco giants ballpark. I mean, it's, it's, I haven't been there in a while, but I would guess that it's probably $40 per family member that goes to that game. If you buy a hot dog, you buy a $20 beer or you take it, you know, it might even be more than that per more. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. And so we're paying good money to see these guys perform. Why not allow them a certain threshold of recovery agent? I like, I just, I just don't, uh, you know, I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, you know, I have heard that with this, you know, the pandemic that people who, tra- I mean, like you said, the grind when they're just traveling to different time zones, going to different cities, not every night with baseball, obviously, but you know, every three to four days, just yeah. the traveling aspect of it would just grind on them and having to change up their sleep patterns. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that takes a toll on your body. Just like you just said, like after time, over time. So, yeah. And, and then if you look at pool holes and, and this was probably two, uh, three, maybe three, four years ago, he was having a big problems with plantar fasciitis in his foot. And for those that have had it, it is horrible or had it in their heel. Right. I don't know if you've ever dealt dealt with it. it. A lot, a lot of females get it because I think the high heels. And so it puts a lot of pressure on the calf because it's supposed to bulk that calf up, right. Make it look nice and plump and juicy, you know? And so they, that calf gets super strong, but then the, the shin muscle gets super weak. So it creates that imbalance in that ankle joint. And so what happens as they get older and they're not wearing those heels anymore, they got the imbalance still, and maybe even is worse travels up to the knee into the hip. Um, now they develop plantar fasciitis in the arch of the foot, right? You got that okay. from the, the uh, back of the ball of the foot to the heel, if not over the heel and attaching into the uh, Achilles tendon. So the Achilles tendon gets really taxed on that kind of a thing. So Pujols was getting a lot of problems with plantar fasciitis and it was painful to watch him run from home home plate to first base with plantar fasciitis. Cause I, I've never had it in my uh, plantar fascia, but I've had it in my heel okay. and I've had turf toe before and, and they're all interrelated. You can, you can treat them in similar, similar fashions, but you know, he was having those issues. He was having some lower back issues and you know, what happens is you, you get to an age and you're like, you know what? F it. I don't need to, to be training anymore. I'd rather have the, the lobster with the butter and I'd, I'd rather have the, the pasta, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> Eating, you know, <laughs> steak and lobster every night. I mean, I can understand that just because it goes to a point that, and I've kind of related, you know, had this own talk with myself lately that, you know, constantly eating, if you want to say clean every day or six days a week with only maybe one or two cheat meals and just mm-hmm. over time, over time, over time, just takes a toll on you. And it's like, Hey, some days, man, just like you said, I'm eating lobster tonight with butter. Yeah. Know? And just, it's, I don't know if it's and, burnout and, or what, but. Well, you're a single guy, right? And you're yeah. going to have kids, kids someday. And sure. so what happens is you get the dead, it's not called the dad bod for nothing. You know, you, 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 <laughs> you have kids and they screw up your, I slept so good before kids. And that I tell you, it took about a year of meditation of, of the headspace out. It took me about a year to get my sleep back, to be able to get myself back to sleep. Like that screwed me up. So that whole year of, of no sleep, I mean, it, you know, I'll tell you what, the motivation to work out, to wake, wake up at five in the morning or six in the morning goes away. You'd rather get sleep. Right. So sure. j- just the fact, and I, and I love 
my old clients that would come in, my, my female clients that would just have a baby and they'd come in, like once they were cleared by the doc, they're in working out and they work out hard. And I, and I love, I can completely appreciate those clients now because I understand, especially for the moms on how hard that is to keep that motivation and inspiration to, to keep working out, even though you got the kids to take care of and it's hard and 5am workouts, you know? I mean, you got to have discipline too. I mean, just, you know, like there's some days, you know, I mean, I have a full-time job as well. And just Mm -hmm. when you're getting off work, there's some days just like, damn, I don't want to go down there today. But (laughs) I mean, then after I do it, I feel a lot better, but yeah. Oh yeah. Just putting your foot through the door. I mean, do I give a hundred percent every day? I mean, I kind of listen to my body and just like, Mm -hmm. I think we're going on. I think that's one of the issues. Like we were talking about with CrossFit earlier that, there's a mistake that people think they actually have to do 100 percent and almost train under fatigue every mm-hmm. single workout, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily, in my opinion, the case if you want to do it right. correctly. But we don't have to go down that road. But uh, <laughs> but I think that's almost, you know, because you see other people who are just going in there like we were talking about curls for the girls and stuff, but they still go back every day. But they're also hopefully or maybe not, you know, stressed out or their bodies are not saying, hey, we're not going back there today. But Right. But, yeah. But one thing I wanted to uh ask you real quick why, why we were talking about it. So you said, you know, obviously baseball is a 162-game season. Do you think baseball and the players would benefit more for a shorter season? Or- yeah, that's that's a tough question. Yeah. I I mean, now you have to you have to justify how much they're getting paid now, right? So you start cutting down games and then fans are going to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I paid for 162 games, yeah. right? Uh, you know, it was back in the, what, 60s? I can't remember when they went from 152 to 162 or 156 to 162. Um, but I, I think it was 50, 60, somewhere around there. And I mean, even that, I mean, shoot, you just cut, what's that, a week and a half? You're, you're, cut, yeah. you're adding a week and a half of games. So, yeah, I mean, I would love... I mean, I, I bet if you ask the guys, the major leaguers, would you prefer a shorter season? I'm sure they would say, yeah, <laughs> but they would get so much blowback on that. They, they would say, what are we paying you this much? And you got to, you got to play these games. So, so then the thing is, okay, well, and, and maybe there it's better now. It, it wasn't this way when I was in college and, and it wasn't this way even a decade ago, but they, like I said, they need to let those guys again, for everybody have a threshold doctors prescribed and, and have certain doctors, the only a certain doctors that can do it. Right. Don't, don't let anybody and their mother in on this thing. Cause then you get shady stuff and whatever, but that you can control and, and all that stuff and let them take it, let them take it to help them recover, let them have, and, and maybe they have this, but you know, you got psychological people in there that are helping them with, with the grind and, and be able to, you know, like I mentioned headspace, right. Headspace meditation. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's such a great component. I think for any athlete, it doesn't have to be baseball, but any, any uh, desk athlete or, or whatever, just to be able to put up with the grind. I mean, it's tough when you get home after doing an eight hour job for those that are working for somebody and, or especially driving so some of the clients you're, you're talking about yeah. and uh, you're tired. Like you, you don't want to do it. And you did know, you it's, it's you a whole thing every day. So I did for a year? about a year okay. or two. Yeah. For a whole year was, I was really, really consistent. And then sometimes two times a day, I'd do like 15 minute, two times a day. And then the, the second year I was a little bit more inter- intermittent with it. But the big thing that I, I took out of it is the, the whole breath thing. <clears throat> so taking, uh, like if I'm having a hard time sleeping, the counting the breath, like you count inhale is one exhales two, right? So Uh, the evens are the exhales, the odds are the inhales and you count to 10 and then you start over and then you do it again. You count to 10. And I always know when I'm falling asleep, when I lose count, I go, Oh, I got to start over. So you start over, you know, back to one. And that was the thing that really, there were some other techniques that they talk about, but that one was the big one that really helped me. And so now I just do it. If I need to, if I feel like I'm getting a little anxious or whatever, I just make sure that tuning into the breath and, and making sure you're taking a deep breath. We coach our kids on that when they yeah. get frustrated, you know, we ask them, what do you do? What do you, what do you need to do right now? When they you can see them starting to get the tears well up and their face is getting red and they're getting frustrated. We say, what do you, what do you need to do right now? And, and that's the cue for them that they either need to leave the room, take some deep breaths or they take some deep breaths there. Um, but I, I don't think that's being taught. Like nobody's, Nobody's teaching that stuff. No, it's not. And uh, I was going to bring up, and I'm sorry, folks, if I talked about this before, but I just read the book Breath by James Nestor. And oh, good one. Yeah. Okay. You read it then? I haven't read it. No, but I'll, I'll pick it up. Oh, dude. Yeah. And like he actually talks about like how, you know, breathing through your mouth, you're just killing yourself. And, like how, yeah. and he actually did a, um, 
I guess, uh, I don't know if you want to say a test. Yeah, some kind of lab test. But experiment. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Experiment. Or I think it was mm-hmm. actually done by a university he did it with. But they, he taped up his nose for three months where he could not breathe out of it at all. And uh, yeah, then he actually did in three months and he reversed it where he would only breathe out through his nose instead of his mouth. Even while he was, he was doing mouth. blood tests, blood yeah, tests and stuff. Yeah, he was doing blood tests too. Uh-huh. And I think mm-hmm. he did this while he was, uh, I think he's sleeping every night. I don't think it was like 24 hours, obviously. But anyway, he was just talking about how his his body would change, like his facial structure just because of you breathing. And, uh, wow. Yeah, and just it was just small things like that. And just he went into the history of it all. And yeah, it's a great book. And at the end of it, he actually had like breathing techniques you could use like to meditate mm-hmm. and just... Yeah, mm-hmm. there's this like for me now, like I'm subconsciously or not subconsciously, but always like my breathing through my nose or my mouth right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. But well, it, that and the the other thing is tension, right? People carry their tension in their jaw, hmm. and and I've had a couple instances where I've had a lot of pressure to get something done for a deadline, and you know I'm doing this all the time, and I'd get like a locked jaw where I, it, it was so painful to like uh. I open my mouth and, and, and chew. And uh, I was like, what the hell's going on? And I, I knew it was anxiety. I knew it was stress, but I, okay, what do I need to do? So what I, the other thing I do besides the breath, which is probably the most important thing, but to keep a, a small light gap between your molars. So to, to, to always be conscious, not only of your breath, but to keep a slight light gap when you're, when you're listening to something or when you're, when, whenever you realize what you're doing and what that does is that keeps you from early chowing down on, on your thought of that, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Huh. Carrying tension in your jaw. Okay. I, exactly. I, I start thinking about that now. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that before. No, I've never, ever, I mean, I've never even thought about it. If I have, like you just said, like sitting there doing like that. So maybe I do do it. Just, I'm not realizing it. So, uh huh. but if you've never had that pain, maybe you haven't, you yeah, got, you know, maybe you deal so. You, you deal with it maybe in a different way, but gotcha. yeah, I just found that out. Once I had some pressure put on me, <laughs> I was like, Oh mama, uh-huh. it was, that's where I started to really clinch and stuff. Well, I know we're kind of getting close on time here, but I wanted to ask you one more thing. We're kind of going back to early with the recruiting thing that yeah. you know, when you played baseball, obviously you couldn't use your name as likeness. And now that rule has mm-hmm. changed, obviously. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. How do you feel? That is interesting. Yeah. I, I saw that been following that. And I, I don't know what, I guess if, the guys like the NCAA, it's, it was when I was playing, you couldn't get paid. Right. I mean, you get paid in a, in a scholarship style where they're paying for your, your tuition, your books, and, and, and maybe some of your housing, if you're an out of, out of town or whatnot, but you couldn't get paid by sponsors. You couldn't have sponsorships. And now, I mean, things have changed so much. We didn't have the internet when I was, when I was playing, actually we did have the internet, but it was all chat rooms. It wasn't really, it wasn't really information unless you went to the the school library and you, you went on their, their little things, right. You can look up magazines, old magazines and newspapers and whatnot. So it wasn't like it is now. So I, I, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, if a guy is, or gal is a stud or studette and they got a Instagram following, that's ridiculous. I mean, why not let yeah. them, I mean, they, it's their, their likeness. It's their, their thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it would also, I think would help free up a scholarship. I mean, I don't know, I guess you'd still give them a scholarship on top of it, but if they're making a lot of money on YouTube from YouTube ads and things like that, they're making five grand a month or, or a grand a month or $500 a month or whatever. I mean, that's going to help the program possibly free up some money for another player that, that may not have that same uh, benefit, but the school can pay for their, yeah. their, um, you know, like me, I was, the school paid for my, my uh, tuition going through That's for amazing. playing the sport, you know? So I don't know, different times, right? Different yeah. times, different measures. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I kind of agree that, yeah, I mean, it's their name if they want to make money often, if they can do it. But I, I just kind of was thinking about it in a different way. If, if you're a walk on and you're a nobody on a team, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you hopefully get a, a Twitch channel and you're just a gamer, but I don't just don't see many big brands coming after you to, you know, actually represent them as far as, so I mean, who's going to pay them unless you, you do it to TikTok dances and you get money. From right. That. Right. But yeah. I just, I don't know. I was just trying to see like the other side of it. Um, well, the other side, I think the, the pain of that or the downside of that would be if there was conflicting, uh, conflicting sponsorship. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the one thing that that college the NCAA doesn't want are scouts talking to athletes too soon. So I have a we have a cousin on my wife's side who he was supposed to go between the third and the fifth round this last year. He's, he's pretty good. He's one of those special guys. 
but they, they weren't giving him enough money, the money that he wanted to go. So he had already signed with Long Beach to go play at Long Beach on a full ride. Okay. So he, he ended up going and playing there. Um, but the, the, so his birthday, the, where his birthday is the, the draft, they changed it from June to July. So now where his birthday's at, he's allowed to get drafted after his sophomore year in college. For me, it was, it was, um, after my junior year, like you couldn't get drafted until after your junior year. Um, and so for him, he only has to play two years and he gets drafted. So now schools can come in and talk to him as, as I think is, uh, would make him his sophomore year, but there's rules on how long they can talk to him and what they can talk to him about and things like that. Just imagine if you're getting paid uh, sponsorships and say it's the Boston Red Sox paying, <laughs> like they're saying, Hey, we'll pay you a certain amount of money to wear our hat and all that kind of stuff. Like that's a no, no, like that's the downside. Like you're, you have to be a hundred percent for whoever you're playing for, you know, university of Virginia or, um, you know, Fresno state or whatever, you have to be a hundred percent for that team. You can't be thinking about these other ones. Um, what was the year? Um, it was the 2008 season college world series. Fresno state had won that college world series. That was that Cinderella season. Uh, the only time they had won the world series. Uh, I think Aaron judge was on that team. I think he was, um, so that during the world series, or during the playoffs, I think it was the uh, Stanford, uh, they had the draft. I can't remember what happened, but they had the draft. A guy got drafted already and they were in the playoffs. Maybe maybe the college season got pushed back. The, the World Series got pushed back, College World Series. He was already drafted. He was a pitcher, I guess. And I mean, he why did he need to really compete? he's already been drafted and he got, you know, one point something million dollars. Like he's done. Nice. Like, that's it. He's, he's it. Like yeah, he's, he's already uh, going to be a, a big leaguer or, you know, he's going to be a professional player. And uh, why would he, why should he finish out the rest of his college season? And I think that's wrong. I think you need to be whatever team you're playing on right now, you're active. That needs to be your thing. So that's where I think the money and the sponsorships could be um, a problem. If you have professional teams that are paying you um, to, for whatever, you know, but I, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think they allow that, but that would be a problem. That makes sense. All right. Well, one thing, other thing I wanted to touch on real quick is just that, do you think that, you know, growing up today, if you want to say today's society or being a kid today, that if you wanted to play in college, is baseball your best way to go or, uh, is, or is to get recruited and to actually play and get college paid for like we were just talking about, or mm -hmm. would you pick another sport? If I if I were to do it all over yeah, again, if you were to do it all over oh, again. Oh, it's baseball. Baseball yeah, would be my does, thing. Does, yeah, that's your passion, like you said. I like yeah, I like soccer. I, I I like soccer. I didn't love it. I I did it because that was before baseball was all year round. Uh, so I I played a sport that was in the in the off season. I knew it would get me in shape. It was always to get me in shape for baseball. Yeah, and so that's why I played soccer. I like I like the martial arts. I wish I would have. Uh, done more in that, like the competitive side of it. We, we were just more training. We, we would test for belts and all that, but I never really got and went to tournaments and things like that. And, and my, my sensei at the time, he, he's still teaching and he's got a pretty big following now. And I, I went to lunch with them or went to breakfast with them the other day. And, and they're doing a lot of that. Now they're doing a lot of the competitive side of things. And I just, I don't know. I'm a big Cobra Kai fan. Oh, you seen yeah. Cobra Kai? It's <laughs> so cheesy, but I love it, man. I know dude, I crush it when it comes out, dude. It but that so kind of good. stuff, you know, I, I missed out on that kind of stuff. We did sparring. We did all that. It was just all unofficial. There was never any, uh, winning anything. Right. And, yeah. and I, I wish, I wish I would have done a little bit more of that, but I don't think you really, aside from some sort of a college Academy or university Academy, that is specifically for martial arts. I don't think that you could get a scholarship for martial arts per se. Um, but it would be, it would have been fun. I think that's probably the only thing I would have changed, but baseball for sure. Yeah. There's no way you could have told me to <laughs> get in, get into college with any other sport. <laughs> no, I agree with you there just because where I grew up, I mean, it was literally, you know, we didn't have baseball year all around. It was either just in season and just whoever's dad was coach, was coaching. And we didn't even have anything, you know, martial arts academy or studios or whatever you call it. Just anywhere, even within a certain, I don't know, probably 50 mile radius. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So it's, it was real world where I live. So that's kind of one thing that I think about now is that I would have been fun. So if I actually would have, <laughs> I actually could have got the chance to actually go into one and just learn either karate or uh, Brazilian, Brazilian jitsu or just anything. Just mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you done? Have you done any of that now? No, and that's one thing that I've always been. I've been telling well, not always, but I've been telling myself in the last year is that you know because I've been 
doing the CrossFit thing since 2013. So what is that? Eight years. And so yeah. it's just like, I'm starting to look for the next thing. Like I was talking about a little bit earlier, like I might, so I, th- I feel myself being burnt out on it. Yeah. So yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, what's the next thing? And that, Oh, maybe, you know, and that's always been of interest of mine. So mm-hmm. maybe like, I don't know, it's like one of those things, I mean, is it too late to actually start it or no, never, so. never too late. Yeah. Cause you're, you're still, you I went in, I went back to it. I have a good buddy who was funny. I was, I was like a, a, a belt just below Brown. I was okay. red with a black stripe and, and I, it was three years and, and I, you know, I was so in love with baseball. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this now full time. Right. So I, I said, I said, uh, farewell retiring, you know, from, from martial arts. And so my buddy was a white belt at the time when I was on my way out and he stuck with it for a lot longer than I did. He became a black belt probably times a couple degrees in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So he had asked me, this was probably back in 2013 or something like that to come back. And at the time I had some neck issues that I ended up going to a buddy of mine who I played ball with at state. He's a chiropractor and ended up my, my neck was starting to, you know, the vertebrae were starting to curve the opposite way. <clears throat> and uh, just because, you know, you're on your phone, you know, all this kind of stuff, you're looking down a lot and just from playing baseball. So, um, but I went in before I corrected all that, I went in with him and he goes, Hey, come to a class, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, and free, you know, it's on me, whatever we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. And again, I, I have, we didn't go in deep in depth with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu when I was doing it. We, we did a, a bunch of different things, but we weren't in depth with it. So, we, so I know a little bit, I guess, to be, uh, you know, to be dangerous, but not, not enough to go deep. If I went in against somebody who was, a black belt in it, I'd get my, I'd get crushed. I get my ass handed to me, you know? Um, but I went in that class and there was a lot of head turn, you know, they put, put the head back here and then they put the arm over here and it just cranked my neck. And I had the worst kink for, in my neck for like three months after that. Oh wow! So, you know, it's, it's a sport. It is grueling because you're putting your, your elbow in different positions, wrists and position. I mean, it's all, it's funny. My buddy is named Sayo, the black belt and BJJ. We, we would meet for tea quite a bit. And, um, I always, I always talked about how to use the body in a way to maximize and optimize. Okay. He looks at the body in a way of how to break it down, how to break the body down. Right. So I talked to him about in hitting, we don't want, as we're swinging, uh, getting the barrel to the ball, we don't want our chin going into our chest or that right ear going into the right shoulder yeah. because it's what it's like is like a guillotine for the central nervous system. Um, and so in hitting, we, we go away from that, but for him in BJJ, he moves his, his enemy into that position because it makes the body weaker. It makes it easier to manipulate. Right. So it's funny how I'm trying to optimize on the hitting side. He's trying to, he's trying to deconstruct, right. Using the same principles, but in a different way. So my, my advice is make sure you you're moving good before you get in, because it, it could be grueling. It, it putting the head in different neck positions is putting, you know, shoulders. And so, you know, just like CrossFit doing, a doing a clean yeah. and you got a bad shoulder, oh, not, yeah. not always a good, not yeah. always a good choice. I mean, damn, even a bad wrist too, dude. So, or bad wrist. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, all right. So last one. I mean, you've been gracious with your time here. So yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. Get, getting into if you know, I train, CrossFit five to six days a week. I'm always doing a workout or whatever. So with mm-hmm. uh, Brazilian Jitsu, would you say three days a week or the same amount just to actually start seeing pro- progress in it? Or yeah. So what I would I would say is I don't know if I would do five or six with CrossFit and then add two or three with BJJ because you're gonna you're gonna oh my body those, do, yeah. dude those BJJ workouts you'll be dripping with sweat like dripping. So what I would do is I would probably go. Uh, whatever you want more. If you feel like you're getting burned out of CrossFit, I would, I would come down to about three or four days of CrossFit a week. Okay. And then I would do the other three, three or four, depending on what your decision on that for BJJ. Cause you might even scale it down more. You might even say three, I'd say three CrossFit and four BJJ or three and three, because those, those BJJ uh, sessions, I'm telling you, dude, you're going to be <laughs> freaking gassed. All right. Well, I don't, I, I, that's what I've heard too, by other folks I've talked about this with. So, all right, Joe, yeah. you, you've been gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Um, so before we get off here, if anybody wants to find you, get more information about just you and all your, your businesses and all that stuff going on, 
how they do all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Th- thanks, Chris. Yeah, man. Yeah. So for those that are interested in the baseball side, so hittingperformancelab.com and I got like 350 something plus free blog posts there. So if you're interested in that side of it, you can always contact or if you want to search on on Facebook, Twitter, I'm there just hitting performance lab or Joey Myers. Um, uh, and if you're on the business side and you're looking for a search engine optimization stuff, you can go to lead generation SEO services with an S at the end of that.com. And the SEO is for search engine optimization. Um, you can go there and, and you can look at some different things. If you wanted to hop on a call, um, you know, no charge or anything like that, we can take a look. I have a, a free uh, website audit yeah, and it gets emailed to you. You don't have to wait for me to, to get that back to you. So if you're interested in that, you can, um, you can go reach out there, but yeah, I appreciate the time, Chris. No, you're one cool dude, man. This was fun. I appreciate it. So yeah. All right, people be good to yourselves and all that good stuff. We're out of here. Thanks, Chris. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.